It is perhaps the only word that communicates the heart of the gospel message and the very nature of God. The word is love, and it's the focus today on Turning Point, as Dr. David Jeremiah considers what it means to love your Heavenly Father, as well as your neighbors, in both your vertical and horizontal relationships. Here's David to introduce his special message, Loving God, Loving Each Other. Well, you might not think those two things go together. One seems so uh, spiritual and ethereal. The other seems so practical and difficult. But they go together. I promise you they do. Because when you learn how to love God, and when you learn how much He loves you, that's how you learn how to love each other. We love even as we have been loved. And that's what we've been taught in the Bible. And when we do that, we discover that it works. When I stop to remember how much God loves me in spite of all the ways that I have violated his love, that he loves me still, and his love is everlasting, and it's real, and I can feel his love, I'm pretty challenged when somebody says, well, you can't love that person. If God can love me, I can love them. That's what we're going to learn from 1 John chapter 4 and verses 7 through 11. I hope you'll find your place in the Bible. Be ready to join us there. Uh, We are finishing up the month together today, and that gives me one last chance to tell you about the uh, beautiful book that came out this month to celebrate the teaching of the book of Colossians. 288 pages, hardcover, beautiful jacket on the book, and it teaches us how to learn about Jesus Christ and what he can do in our lives. It encloses the letter that Paul wrote from his jail cell in Rome to a church in Colossae that was being torn apart by false doctrine. And their pastor, Epaphras, had gone to Rome and uh, asked Paul to help. And Paul couldn't get out of jail, so he wrote this incredible letter. And uh, the, the result of it was he helped the church in Colossae, and he's helped us so many times, but especially during these last weeks as we have studied it together, we have learned so much about our God from Paul in a letter written in a jail cell many years ago. Well, that letter and all of the teaching of it and the meaning of it and the illustrations of it and the footnotes of it, all of that's in this book that just was released. It's a turning point book, not available in the bookstores. 288 pages. It's a beautiful volume that you'll be pleased to have on your shelf. But most of all, it contains truth that's life-changing from the book of Colossians. Make sure to get your copy while the opportunity is still here. And that means you got to get it today. Ask for your copy when you send your gift today. So uh, I just want to give you that opportunity. Let's talk about loving God and loving each other. The passage that's before us today, John is going to dramatically demonstrate the relationship of God's love for us, our love for God, and our love for one another. It is a most logical passage. It takes us through the argument of God's heart. And we cannot miss the impact of it if we listen carefully. John begins in verses 7 and 8 of the fourth chapter by giving us a definition of God's love. In 1 John 4, 7 and 8 we read, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, if you were reading this passage in the Greek New Testament, you would be immediately 
aware of the fact that John has used a play on words to let us know that he believes this so much he's practicing his own preaching. For he begins the verse by saying, Beloved, let us love. And in that phrase are two words that come from the same root word, which is our word agape, which is the word for love. And John is really saying, my loved ones love one another. He is saying, I love you and I want to communicate a truth to you. And the truth that I want to communicate to you, my beloved, is that you are to love one another for God is love. What is the definition of God's love? It is God himself. This is the third time that John has taught this in this little epistle. This is not forgetful repetition on his part. This is the Holy Spirit driving home a much needed point in John's day and in ours. And John is so overwhelmed by this that he wants us to understand. And in the writing of this epistle, he has given us three ways that we must remember this. And I want to show you these as we go along. First of all, he reminds us that when we love one another... We are walking in the light of God. Notice 1 John 2, 9 and 10. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. God who is the originator of love and the orchestrator of love who teaches us to love one another reminds us through the writing of John that when we love one another we are walking in the light. Now notice secondly in 1 John 3, 14 and 15 that when we love one another, we are walking in the life of God. Verses 14 and 15. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Watch carefully. John is saying that the way we respond to the love of God in loving others is a testimony to the fact that we are walking in the light. It is also a testimony to the fact that we are walking in the life of God. He talks about eternal life. And in the passage that we have before us today, he teaches us that when we love one another, we are walking in the love of God. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Hear the refrain in this passage of Scripture of loving one another appears three times within the scope of just a few verses. John is going to help us understand that because we're related to God, we have to do what God does. God loves. And because we're his children, we will love also. In verse 7, he gives us a command. Let us love one another. In verse 11, he gives us a conclusion. We ought to love one another. And in verse 12, he gives us a condition. If we love one another. In fact, several times beyond this passage, he tells us again that we are to love one one another. That is the definition of God's love. What is God's love? It is God himself. God himself is love. One of the first little verses I learned as a child growing up in Sunday school was God is love. But you know what? It's taken me the rest of my life to figure out what that means in every aspect of my life. Now, John, as I mentioned, is very logical in his presentation. He's given us this picture now that if you want to know what love is, you have to see God. But now he's going to show us in these next verses the demonstration of God's love. Read with me verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was manifested or demonstrated toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 1 John 3.16 says it this way, And by this we know love. How? Because he laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now John gives us the fundamental reason why we are to love one another. It is not primarily because of the love of God. It is not primarily because God is love. It is because God has demonstrated his love for us in a tangible action. Three times in the space of just a few verses, we read that God sent his son to us. 1 John 4, 9, God has sent his only begotten son into the world. 1 John 4, 10, he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 1 John 4, 14, the father has sent the son as the savior of the world. Whatever else you get from this, you learn first of all about the preexistence of Christ. Christ didn't begin when he came into the world. He was a being alive forever and eternal before Bethlehem. God just looked around heaven when he wanted to demonstrate his love for us, and he said in his heart, what shall I do? How can I tell my children on earth of my love in a way that they cannot miss the message? And he said, this I will do. I will send to them the gift of my own son, the most costly gift that I can provide. And the Bible says that God demonstrated his love toward us in that he sent his son. This time, the duty of loving one another is no longer abstract, but it is concrete. God loved us, and he proved that he loved us in that he sent his only son to be our savior. God's love was free. It was uncaused. It was spontaneous. And all of our love is just a reflection of his love for us. What is it that John says? We only love him because he first loved us. This is not about our love. It is about his love. For even our love is about him. And we can only love him because he first loved us. Notice, because he loved us, he sent his son. Verse 9. In this the love of God was manifested toward us that God sent his only begotten son into the world. Notice the way John describes God's gift. His gift was the Son, verse 14. It was His Son, verse 10. And it is His only begotten Son, verse 9. No greater gift of God is conceivable because no greater gift of God is possible. This was the demonstration of the love of God. Now, don't miss the logic of this. The definition of love is God. But God is spirit. We're humanity. How can we possibly understand love? How can we know it? The Bible tells us God is love. So what does that mean? God said, I will not leave you in that spirit of ambivalence. I will send you a message about love you will have to acknowledge. And he sent Jesus Christ, his own son, to prove to us what his love is all about. Corinthians 9.15 says it best for me. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Amen. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? 
Underline in your thinking that little phrase. He who did not spare his own son. I don't know the dynamics of eternity. I don't know how the decision was made in the heart of God to give the second person of the Trinity to this world in human flesh to die on the cross so that we would know the love of God. But I can only perceive it but in the terms of my own human understanding. I am a father. I have two sons. How much would I have to love somebody to give those two sons away knowing that they would face an ignominious death God did that because he loves us. That's what John is teaching us. God is love. How do I know that? He sent his son. And he goes on to say that because he loves us, not only does he send us his son, but he sends us his savior. Notice verse 14. The father has sent the son, the savior of the world. First John 3 says, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. First John 4, 9 says, God sent his only beginning son into the world that we might have life. First John 3, 5 says, as you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. First John 4, 10, he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. First John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. First John 2, 2, he himself is the propitiation for our sins. All those verses from first John tell us one thing. When God sent his son, he not only sent a son, he sent a savior. And when his son came and he died on the cross, he became not just the son of God, he became the savior of the world. You say, Pastor, how could that be? In the simplest language, I can tell you. Because he was God, the son. When he came to this world, he was still God, the son. And everything about God is infinite. His life and his ability to die for the whole world. If it were me, I could only die for one person. But God is infinite, and he poured the infinity of his Godhead into human flesh. And when he hung on the cross, he died, and his death was worth every single person who would ever put their trust in him. So that when he died on the cross, he became the savior of all those who would believe. So what is John's point? God is love. You know, we can almost yawn when we read that because it's beyond our reach. But you cannot yawn when you get to the second point. God is love and he proved his love. He demonstrated his love because he sent his son and he sent a savior into the world. And this is almost unfair because his conclusion is what involves every one of us. Now listen carefully. Watch the demand of God's love in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God is love. He gave his love to me through Jesus Christ, who is his only begotten son. He made him my savior. He loved me that much. And now he says, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Amen? Now, before we close our Bibles, let's try to make that as practical as we can. What does that mean? Well, it means that the gift of God's love not only assures us of God's love for us, but it lays upon us an obligation. No one who has been to the cross and seen the immeasurable, unmerited love displayed there can go back to a life of selfishness. 
The implication here is this. We are only to love our brethren because God loved us. We are to love our brothers in the same way that God loved us. How do we do that? Well, we're to do it unconditionally. How did God love us? Did he say, clean up your act and I'll love you? No, he loved us just as we were. None of us would have any hope if that weren't true. How do we love other people? If they're a brother or sister in Christ, we love them as they are, and we pray that God will do a work in their life. And we've talked about this during this series, that God loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. Amen? So we love unconditionally. Listen to Romans 5, 7, and 8. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet prevents for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us when there was nothing lovable about us. He loved us when we were at enmity against him. He loved us when we were alienated against him by wicked works. He loved us when we were trampling underfoot his word. He loved us when we were rejecting grace and breaking his commandments. And now John writes, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. How did God love us? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And there was not anything in us that was worthy of God's love. I am never more, listen to me, I am never more like God than when I am loving like God. I didn't deserve his love. It wasn't earned. It doesn't make sense. But there's something of that in the life of a believer. When I love somebody who doesn't deserve my love, maybe who's hurt me, who has done something to violate me, and I still love that person, I am like God. I'm not God. I can't be God, but I become like God when I love those who don't deserve my love. And by the way, if the only people we love are the lovable ones, how are we any different than the world? That's what the Bible teaches. If the only people you love are the people that are easy to love, if you only have your own little affinity group and you just put your arms around people who are just like you and you never reach out to those who aren't like you, how are you going to be like God? The very fact that we are put into situations of difficulty is just so that the world can watch how we deal with it. Do we have any uniqueness in our ability to deal with difficult people because God is in us? If we don't, then we aren't a very good witness. And all we have to do is remember this truth. God is love, and he demonstrated his love through Jesus Christ, and I love other people out of the reservoir of God's love for me. And when I think that somebody else isn't worthy, I just remember how unworthy I am of the love of the holy God, and I'm set free to love that person. I love them unconditionally. We love him sacrificially. Sacrificial love. Notice 1 John 3, 16 through 18 says this, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Does anybody not understand that? I mean, that's not hard to understand, is it? We love sacrificially. I remember reading a story about a Salvation Army worker who found a derelict woman alone on the street and invited her to come into the chapel for help. But the woman refused to move. The worker assured her, we love you and we want to help you. God loves you and Jesus died for you. Won't you come? And the woman did not budge. As if on a divine impulse, The Salvation Army worker, the woman worker, leaned over and kissed the woman on the cheek, taking her into her arms. And the woman began to sob 
and like a child was led to the chapel where she ultimately trusted in Jesus Christ. She said, you told me that God loved me, but it wasn't until you showed me that God loved me that I wanted to be saved. We can go all over the world telling people of God's love, but men and women, it's time for the church to start showing people that God loves and to showing one another that we love. Love has become an empty word. It has been polluted by the culture in which we live. It means almost nothing. And when it comes to self-sacrificial love, it's a non-entity in your world and in mine, unless you're a Christian and you know about the self-sacrificing God who gave his own son to be our savior. And so he tells us that we're to love one another. And this is a lifetime task. It's not only to be done unconditionally and sacrificially, but finally it's to be done personally. 1 John 4, 20 and 21 says it this way. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Notice the pronouns are personal. We can't love people as a church. Somebody said, oh, that's a loving church. Well, if we're a loving church, it's only because this church is made up of loving people. Churches can't love. Only people can love. Churches can't love a brother. Only people can love a brother. So whatever we are as a church, it is simply a reflection of the collected values and virtues of the individuals who are in the church. And I want to thank God that I serve a church where the love of the brethren is often displayed. But I want to urge us, as Paul urged the Thessalonians, to abound yet more and more in this love. Because it is as the world sees us loving one another that it begins to understand who God is. At the end of this passage of Scripture, it says, As he is, so are we in this world. And I want to turn that upside down because it's more powerful in some ways the other way around. And it goes like this. As we are, so is he in this world. What that means is that the only Christ most people are ever going to see is the Christ they see in us. As we are, so is he. So if we're going to express the love of God and tell people that God loves them, we had just better be about the task of loving one another because if we aren't, then our message is empty. So you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking that right now, as I close this message, just about every in this room has got somebody in mind. Somebody that you're thinking, oh God, not that person. Oh, Lord, not that one. Yes, that one. Put in your mind the thought of the person that's hardest in the world for you to think about loving and ask yourself the question, is it harder for me to love that person than it was for God to love me? I don't think so. So then, out of the love that God has given you, reach deep into that reservoir and find the love to love the person or the persons that God has put into your life. You know, it's such an interesting thing that when we really know God, we learn to know ourselves. For instance, how do you forgive somebody? You forgive them out of the forgiveness that's been granted to you by God. How do you love somebody? You love them out of the reservoir of love 
that has come to you from God. Go through your life and think about that. Whatever God has done for you, he's done for you so that you, in turn, can do it for others. And if we would ever understand that and study God in that way, it would be life-changing for all of us. I hope you've gotten just a little bit of that from what we've talked about today, loving God and loving each other. Well, tomorrow we begin a brand new series called My Heart's Desire. I remember when I studied all of this and put this in writing. And we want to encourage you to join us as we talk about what it means to worship God. It will be invigorating, I promise you. We'll have a good time together. Thank you so much for being with us during the month of August. Hard to believe the month is over. We begin September tomorrow and a brand new series. And we invite you to join us. I'm David Jeremiah. For more information on today's special message from Dr. Jeremiah, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, be sure to ask for your copy of David's new book, Christ Above All a verse-by-verse study in Colossians to help you truly know who Jesus is. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we begin the series, My Heart's Desire, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with Airship Genesis Legendary Bible Adventures from Turning Point. Tune in to our monthly audio adventures and join the Genesis Exploration Squad as they travel back in time to experience the stories of the Bible firsthand and discover life-changing lessons. Also available is the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, packed with the biblical content specifically written for kids from trusted Bible teacher Dr. David Jeremiah. You can also download our Airship Genesis mobile game on your favorite smart device and play as your favorite characters in this puzzle adventure game as the squad experiences the life of Jesus firsthand. Just go to your app store and type the keywords Airship Genesis. For more details or to order a copy of the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, visit our website at airshipgenesis.com slash Bible. That's airshipgenesis.com slash Bible. If you want to learn more about the person of Jesus Christ, the book of Colossians offers an unrivaled portrayal of our Savior. And to help you understand this important book in a deeper way, Dr. David Jeremiah has created a verse-by-verse study called Christ Above All. This helpful book and album are yours when you donate $60 to Turning Point. And with an $80 gift, you'll also receive the Written Word Journal. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. The word Christian gets used in a broad sense in our culture today. It is applied to people who are not Jewish, Muslim, atheists, or agnostics, or adherents of any other religion. If you are not one of those other groups, well, you must be a Christian. But it's important to remember this old saying, 
Sitting in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. The Bible says that a Christian is a person who has experienced a new spiritual birth, a supernatural event that only happens when one trusts in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's definition of Christian on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.